Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to now, I believe, what is the 102nd episode of the podcast. Um, once a week, Rion, he just, he terrorizes me. Um, he makes me get on for an hour, and he makes me talk about Manchester United in any capacity. The man makes me talk about Manchester United, and... I think that is uh, level with levels of torture scene in Guantanamo. I can't confirm or deny that. Oh, um, just, just slightly dramatic. <laughs> just, just being just, slightly overdramatic, if you will. Um, <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, we have to talk about United at some point in the podcast. But whatever, it's either here nor there. What's up, Brian? How you doing? Wow, that doesn't sound doesn't sound bitter whatsoever, too. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> um, uh, I'm doing doing good. Um, feels like feels like this week has gone by slow already. I don't. It's only been two days. It's literally and Tuesday. Even yeah. even with the even with the good Champions League games today, especially Juve Porto was just awesome. Probably the probably the game of the year in Europe. I'd say so far this season. Probably, probably. Um, but yeah, even with all of the good the good bursts of endorphins from soccer today <laughs> still feel like the week is going slow but i don't know how are you doing Alice? how's how's is the week also moving slowly for you it's moving super slowly like the nice part is uh, like work isn't super busy for me right now um don't know if that's a good or a bad thing neither here nor there but at the same time i i feel like it's thursday and i've only gotten through two days maybe it's the stress of waiting for the psg game tomorrow and inevitably seeing my team, like I was telling you around before we started, lose probably like three nothing. Like hope of a comeback is literally zero. But a man can dream. A man can dream. So there's a lot. There's a lot going on in my head tonight. <laughs> yeah, and I also wonder too. I mean, Sunday night we had the Harry and Meghan interview with with Oprah, and then. Uh, I think to, today, Piers Morgan leaving Good Morning Britain. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Uh, uh, Monday night, I, I had my, of course, the the Bachelor, and we're down to the final two girls now. So that so someone had to get eliminated last night. It feels like a lot has just happened in my life so far. But... <laughs> yes, Rian, Rian, very uh, very closely paralleled apparently with Matt James. If uh, if you're drawing a parallel there. Um, all the women that are throwing oh, God. Oh. nowadays. Oh um, no! In no, his non-single life, <laughs> horrible, horrible, horrible person to be, to be compared to. Honestly, um, but <laughs> not oh, to get God. bogged anyway. down. Not to get bogged down in, in my bachelor rants. But... It's semantics. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, anyway, well, Rian, why don't we talk about something a little more interesting than the slowness of our weeks? The Manchester Derby. Derby, whichever one. I, I've given up on pronunciations. The Manchester Derby, I'll call it that. And, of course, we all know the result. United coming out on top of City 2-0, right? United, the big kind of headline is that they ended City's 21-game unbeaten run. We got to talk. Let, let's start... Rion with Manchester City before we, we get into the details of the United performance and how they how they actually did this. But what does this mean just in your opinion for Manchester City now? Right? They're still, I believe, twelve points clear of Manchester United and in, in first place. They're still in a good position, 
But leading up to especially now the, their Champions League second leg and the rest of the Premier League season, they're only really only 10 to 12 games left. Yeah, they're still sitting. I mean, th- this doesn't change anything about where the title <laughs> will go this season. Um, City are 11 points clear of United in second. And yeah, there's 10 games left in the season. But uh, I don't know. Th- this game, I-, I think City were always... They were going to lose a game at some point, obviously, right? And I think... Um, in none of the prior 21 games has their forward, the striker, after 35 seconds been on the edge of his defensive penalty area and and then eventually in his own box and, challenged, and fouled the opposing team's um, player and, and given away a penalty in the first 40 seconds of the game. I, I don't think they found themselves in that situation too often in the last few months. So I, I think not not to say that United deserve doesn't deserve credit for this game. They obviously they, they do 100%. But I do think that this was just kind of slightly off day for City. Um I think the I think the first goal happening when it happened was was probably considering that City have not trailed at all in these last 21 games, was probably just the the best way that you can find a way to beat the City team right now is to score very early and, and put yourself in a position to defend something, right? And, and Manchester United look at their best when they're on the counterattack too. So that worked perfectly for just how you know comfortable that team is playing and and how fluid they are in that style of play right so i i think not it's maybe not fully unlucky for manchester city but i think it's just kind of a bad day at the office honestly completely agreed i i don't think that this reflects so negatively on city quite honestly i think in all likelihood this is one of those games where City just got extremely unfortunate, or were extremely unfortunate. I mean, throughout this game, you know, watching with a few friends too, there were so many moments where I was either screaming, shoot, or what are you doing? (laughs) Or how did that go through your legs, Raheem Sterling? Like, there were so many times where City could have gotten back into this game. And it was just one of those situations where it almost felt like a Champions League tie, where it just wasn't going right for City. And they have those games. And there's nothing in some situation that you, you can tactically change to make it any better. There's no substitution, seemingly, that makes it in, in, inevitable that they're going to go on and win. I think that's what it came down to for City. So, right, I, I agree with you. This really didn't necessarily reflect as poorly on City as I think some people may think. And the fact that they are still... 10 plus points ahead of United in the table doesn't really change the fact that they're going to go on and very, very likely win the title. So why don't we talk about United then, Rian? Because I think there were probably two standout performances for me. Um, and I know one player for you that you definitely want to talk about. Yeah. I, I A player that from Manchester United point of view has really gone under some sort of redemption arc, a big redemption arc here. And 
that's Luke Shaw, who I think after seven years of being a Manchester United, in that time span, he's missed 133 games from injury, including uh, the entire 2015-2016 season because of a broken leg. And then to come back and he had a lot of trouble under Jose Mourinho and, and was kind of picked out at least a handful of times by Jose Mourinho with his comments. So to kind of bring yourself as a player from that point to now, and that's not even factoring in all of the hype that he came with by coming to Manchester United from Southampton in the first place. It's crazy to think about this is his seventh season at Manchester United, seven years at the same club, and and he's still only 25. And what we're seeing this season is his breakout season, and I think he gets a lot of a lot of stick online sometimes, and not as much recently because I think people are, are recognizing how good a season he's having. But he's someone who's very easy to criticize. Honestly, I think it has something to do with the fact that like he in his jersey he doesn't look that fit. Right, he looks. He doesn't. He, he, he does partially because his ass is enormous. That that is definitely a factor, and it also <laughs> looks like on like his torso is kind of square, kind of rectangular. <laughs> like, like, it, it doesn't look like there's, there's much like tone when he when he has his jersey on. So, I, I think his his physical appearance on on the TV doesn't flatter him either. But um, he's been United's second most influential creator this season he's second in the team in key passes and shot created shot creating actions per 90 second to bruno fernandez of course <laughs> and in in the entire premier league he's first in defenders in those two categories key passes and, and shot creating actions per 90 so you know just a lot of a lot of love for him he, he's it's not easy like like this I feel like we don't see the redemption arc a lot and because especially someone staying at the same club and that redemption arc happening. Right. So I think we've actually seen that from the other Manchester city team um, and John stones, but Luke Shaw, like really congrats to him. And he's probably England's best left back at the moment too. So I, he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time in the last year with the England national team, but I think in these March um, qualifiers and, or sorry, the Mar- these March, uh, I think, Nations League games, and even going into the summer, he's got to play a factor on the England national team. I'm, I'm just, while you're, while you said that statement that he is England's best left back, I, I sense a, a bit of, a bit of smite towards Ben Chilwell? Um, I, I don't know if no. that's... No, not... Mm, okay. No, okay. No, there's no smite, no smite whatsoever. I, I mean, I, I think the numbers speak for themselves in terms of in terms of Luke Shaw's output this season, right? So I, I, I don't think that's really... A, I think you going into the season, that would have been surprising, but how the season's gone, that's... I can't really, you can't really argue it. Fair. No, that I think that's that's fair. Um, I would love to see Bakayo Saka as a, a left wing back for for England. That will never happen. But I would love to see it. <laughs> he has played um, there a couple he, times. He has he has played there, but it it doesn't 
it shouldn't really happen. It shouldn't really happen. No. But no, uh, it should not. It should it, not. But, but, but yes, I I think Luke Shaw has had an outstanding season in this game. He he was actually one of my two players that I want to shout out because of his performance and quite honestly, his ability to so easily get around your you know Cancelos of the world and. He didn't really have to get around Zinchenko or anything like that. Um, but to be able to just bypass the the entire right flank of City was really impressive. And I think that was aided largely in just his quick decision-making. Like, he would play a ball into Fred. He would play a ball into Bruno Fernandes. And the second that that ball was released, he was already sprinting up the left wing. Past, you know, Cancelo. Past anyone that was, that was marking him. And City don't play man marking so it wasn't as though anyone was keeping up with him it's it's obviously very much a, a broken down Freudian you know between the lines type of defending no one could keep up with Luke Shaw and, and that posed a real problem going down uh you know the United left flank so he got in behind the defense more times than I think Pep probably expected and and he was a big reason obviously why United won obviously with the goal contribution finding himself in the position he was in but the ability to quickly iterate on top of his passage of play was, I think, the most uh, helpful part of that game. And the second player that I want to shout out for an entirely different reason is not Bruno Fernandez because I still, I, I honestly think Bruno Fernandez was poor in this game. He, he, for me, did not show up in any capacity. I don't care if he scored a penalty that was gifted to him in the third minute. I thought Scott McTominay had a wonderful game. I thought Scott McTominay was everywhere, running basically from minute zero all the way through minute 90 in basically what was a man-marking setup from United. I, I thought United's ability to man-mark players like Gundogan and an out-of-form Kevin De Bruyne coming back uh, from injury actually played right into United's hands because Scott McTominay is purely <laughs> a, a Mourinho-esque physical player <laughs> in that United midfield. And that's what Ole needed him to do. And this is the first time I will give Ole credit for recognizing this sort of setup um, against City, even though he is best at Pep on multiple occasions now at this point. This game really stood out to me because it was the nuanced tactical decisions to play that man-marking style instead of a low or medium block that is probably going to get you carved out. Um, I, I have to give Ole credit for that, and I have to absolutely give Scott McTominay credit. Yeah, I think I think McTominay. Sometimes it's just I think he gets some unfair criticism at times too. I think if the Manchester United midfield was had better players around him, like I, I mean that's it, easy to say, obviously, but but if they had a more more of a traditional defensive midfielder around him and and maybe another center mid there too, like, he looks like he's a box to box midfielder. I think. Sometimes gets um, pigeonholed in this thing where he's expected to be, I think a bit so, a different type of player a lot of the times. But a dynamic, he, he's, he's yeah. expected to be this sort of technical ball playing midfielder, which he is ne not near the profile of. Yeah. So, um, yeah, credit credit to Ole too. He's he's right now the only coach who's ever won more games against Pep Guardiola than <laughs> lost. So. That's absurd. That is actually <laughs> absurd. And and think about the the coaches and players that have come up against Pep. That's 
Yeah. Very, very impressive. And, and, and United, United still have not lost away from home in something like, I think, 20 straight, 20, 22 straight now, maybe. Um, yeah. It's just it's a shame that they've turned Old Trafford into a playground, though. It's it's yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the, the, the weird results. part. That's the weird part, right? But <laughs> that's the alternative, yeah. But enough about the Manchester sides, who clearly will be fine in the race for top four. Chelsea and Everton, however, on the other hand, massive, 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 massive result for Chelsea, beating out Everton two nil. Kai Havertz apparently, um, you know proving that he is worth all the money in one game. Uh, I guess Chelsea fans have just decided that he one massive post-COVID <laughs> performance is now worth several tens of millions of euros. Um, but we, I mean, we have to have a conversation around about Thomas Tuchel, the change from, from Lampard, kind of a more broad conversation about Chelsea because with 11, I believe it's 11 unbeaten games now under Tuchel, um, being teams like Everton and, of course, Liverpool, Chelsea have to be considered favorites for the top four, right? I say that because it's easy to say that because they're in the top four now. But given form and given the massive boost I think they got mentally from the Champions League win against Atletico, they have they have to be considered favorites. Yeah, I think you know we we love to sometimes check on five thirty eight for this stuff, right? <laughs> and 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 the day before Chelsea's game against Liverpool, Chelsea were at. A- 48% chance again to the Champions League. Liverpool at 64. Now, after Chelsea's last two wins and Liverpool's last two losses, Chelsea are at 73% chance and Liverpool falling down to 19%, which obviously that means almost nothing. But if, if you have if you have any faith in Nate Silver still, then maybe that means a bit of something to you. But um no, I think I think from the Chelsea side, their defensive positioning on the ball and their organized press since Tuchel has began coaching them, I think it's just made them very difficult to beat now. And as entertaining as the team was last season and for, you know, I say maybe parts of the first half of this season and maybe even overall they were very exciting but you never felt like the team had control over a lot of their games right um in a sense of being able to you're you're talking about under lampard though right not (laughs) i i i i could even stretch this back to maurizio sorry days too but Never has the team looked like they, at least recently, looked like they could control games in the way they do now. And like I said, I think it's very important to think about what they do when they're on the ball now, when the when possession is lost, players are immediately running to the ball, and, and the, the press looks just way more organized as a team rather than, you know, the first four attackers who are all pressing together and, and um and sometimes lacking in midfield and the the back line pressing high up as well but they're positioning on the ball where now you see whenever Kovacic or Jorginho has the ball the other is extremely close by and and you can swap this out too for when N'Golo Kante plays as well but there are more defined connections around the field and that, and all that plus, you know, they're 
their risk taking has gone up a bit. I think in the in the last few games, Elisa. I think you look at the penalty kick comes from a great forward pass from Kovacic, a great run from Havertz, and then he gets fouled in the box. And so it it seems like this team looks more mature. <laughs> but I think all this change is really just the the coaching game plan, game to game, and yeah, I, th- I think. It's hard not to be very encouraged as a Chelsea fan watching the team, um, especially these last two games where I think that they look like they are getting a better grasp of of how Tom Tuchel wants them to play. Um, and they're picking it up really, really well, I think, in the last two games. 100% agreed. I mean, you, you talked about the almost the level of control and balance that Tuchel has brought to this team. So I'm not even going to go over that because I 100% agree. I'm just going to come at it from a different angle and you'll love this, but the expected points angle, um, there's a reason why this team was expected to be in second on points right now. And quite honestly, pretty close to Manchester city, right? They're way off their XG, but I think that's largely due to their stretch of games in January and early February, but this team has the talent that wasn't, that was never the issue, but they never looked like they had developed the sort of chemistry that they develop now under Tuchel. And in some ways, even you could, well, Werner can't finish a sandwich for his life. So that is, <laughs> God that is bless him. I, I know, God bless. I know he is wonderful, but at the same time, the, the services and the deliveries coming through Conte Kovacic and in some ways, Jorginho too. I feel like that's, the key to this team. I, I don't think you need to work through the issues around who's starting in your front two or three, whether it's Olivier Giroud, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz. It, it could even be Ziyech. I, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is actually breaking the press and pressing. It's those two for Chelsea. And they have started to figure that out under Tuchel. He's, he's clearly understood how... The, you know, the player profiles that he has, and he's he's playing the teams consistently. I, I don't know if he's gotten a perfect Gala 11 per se, but he's he's played, you know, <laughs> the same players pretty consistently over and over again. Obviously, Pulisic is being kind of shut out a little bit, even though he kind of, he saw what Pulisic had at Dortmund, but there's there's something to be excited about. For this Chelsea team, it absolutely, and I do think that Chelsea finished top four. I've always been bullish on Chelsea this season, um, and I think they'll probably they'll probably get through against Atletico. But let, well, I'll be I'll be cautiously optimistic for Chelsea there. Yeah, and I think like some of the biggest differences now is like it just feels like a couple players like Kovacic here before Tuchel came in. He only had. This season, he only had five games where he attempted at least three dribbles, and he's already got four of those in the first 10 games um, since Tuchel has arrived. And it's just a few players that are just getting maybe 10% more out of um, than they were in, in the first half of the season, right? I, like, I think that the organization and, you know, 
credit to the players again for seeming like they're picking up on these methods and and the concepts very well it's just all looks a bit more um fluid i think that's the best way to, to describe it because granted in this same time chelsea have only scored 12 goals right and so there's obviously improvement to be made there but i think as you saw in the game against everton that once they are kind of fully understanding each other's positions and kind of the runs that need to be made and the balls need to be played they create chances they create enough chances it's just the finishing is going to be my biggest uh concern for the rest of the season is the actual finishing part of it and Yes, that includes Timo Werner, obviously, but also includes, you know, the, the times that midfielders are getting into those positions as well, and they, they have to finish. So um, I think it was really good stuff. And and like I said, Havertz, probably his best game so far in a Chelsea shirt. He was unlucky not to get a goal. Really unlucky. First one's own, an own goal, and then the second one, um, it, it hits him like, I guess... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. No one knows the handball is. So I, I, I don't. I, whatever. No, I don't know. I don't know. It just something happened. Yeah. Coin was flipped. <laughs> it was tails. So this time it meant no goal. Um. Yeah. I think. I think. I think that's a. So far, that's the best position. Or sorry, the the best he's looked in any position. The most fluid and and it and it really fits with the way that Chelsea play right now too. That there's there's just a different bit of dynamism that I think he can bring to that role and also seems to fit in very well with just the way that um, Chelsea try to control the ball and, and create chances um, up front with their front three. So yeah, all is good. <laughs> all, all is good. And uh, in the words of Jose Mourinho, I have nothing to say. So Rian, let's take a quick break. We'll come back, talk a little bit with uh, maybe a, a special surprise guest potentially on the way. Talk a little uh, Liverpool and Fulham and what that means for the relegation battle now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back from the break. We, uh, we really love bringing on special guests. Every once in a while, I was so Rian and I, like I said, we finally watched a couple of games together over the weekend. And I turned to Rian, I was like, we should have two of our friends on to talk about the North London Derby. We instantly realized that was a bad idea because uh, you would the podcast would never end. It, it would be episode 101 or what, 102, just ongoing. Um, but we uh, we actually decided to invite a different one of our friends on the pod talk a little bit more about Liverpool Fulham and that result, but more specifically about Fulham. Norman, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, uh, happy to be back on, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, life's pretty good as a Fulham fan at the moment. You know, it's still <laughs> in the relegation zone, so not could be better. But you know, you see these run of results, and you just have to you have to enjoy it. Yeah, you're uh, you're living your best possible life. Not the best life, well, but the best possible yeah, maybe life. Not, right maybe now. not best possible life. <laughs> yet. Not yet. Yeah, still got a few games to go before uh, it's the best life. But, you know, the foundation's there, so just got to keep building. Yeah, and, I mean, more important than anything else, the foundation in terms of menswear from Scott Parker 
has been very interesting recently. This past weekend, what did he have? Like a, a trench coat, but it looked super, uh, not bulky. It looked super tight on him. I mean, he's I, it, I, it it not, like he he's wearing... not the, the perfect example. <laughs> yeah, it looked like he had five more jackets on underneath it. Um... Yeah, it was layered heavily. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He must have been cold. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, but, I mean, obviously a massive result against Liverpool. That goes without saying. But it's not like, it's not like Fulham... <laughs> Um, I don't think this was unexpected, is what I'm trying to say, right? They, I feel as though, in some ways, this win kind of righted the ship for them, just in terms of getting what they deserve, and especially a team against Liverpool that have now lost six in a row at home, I think it was a perfect opportunity for, for Fulham to start actually making it a proper relegation race, which I think we can argue fully that it, it is now, so, I mean... Norman, where is your head at with this team right now in terms of the rest of the season between now and the rest of the season? And obviously, do you do you see them being relegated or no? Uh, so I definitely think we will be staying up. You know, I have to have that mindset as a Fulham fan. But you're right in saying that this is kind of a result that we deserved, you know, after especially after that Tottenham result with the Lamina handball that, they changed the rule 24 hours later to say that that actually isn't a handball. And, you know, we struggled against Crystal Palace, should have scored. We've had a real problem with scoring goals uh, this season. And, you know, to get that breakthrough and to then hold on and be, you know, so resounding defensively, uh, I think it it's great to see as a Fulham fan, honestly, you know, compare it to the start of the season when we shipped three goals to Leeds, shipped three to Villa, and, you know, everyone had written us off by the fourth fourth game of the season. Uh, so looking forward to the rest of the season, you know, we have a pretty uh, pretty quick brought back to reality game against Man City on uh, Saturday, although they did just lose, but, you know, can't be expected to get anything out of that. Um, and then, you know, a couple of, couple of big winnable games, you know, Leeds at home, Wolves at home, Villa away, we could even, you know, try and get a point there or something. But then I think myself and a lot of other Fulham fans have circled this last game of the season, Newcastle at home. You know, as long as we're within, the aim is always to be within three points and have a better goal difference than Newcastle come the last day of the season. And if we're in there, then, you know, anything can happen. And I think now, given the results we've had over the past month, the optimistic Fulham fan could think, you know, we don't even have to wait that long. Like we should try and be mathematically safe before that. But I think at least for me, I'm just, you know, keep just looking at that Newcastle game. And, you know, if we get, if we get there beforehand, great, but just stay within touching distance, I think is our, is our aim for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, I mean, even going into this, like going into this Liverpool game, I'm also curious, Alex, like what were you, what were your thoughts when you saw Liverpool starting eleven out there too? Because they threw that out, and you looked at their back line, and I was like, "Wow, I think Fulham have a good chance today." Yeah, you know, definitely saw it and raised a few eyebrows, and you know, I think it's a testament to how much of a slog this season's been for all the players and just the level of exhaustion. You know, I don't blame Klopp for thinking a Fulham relegation zone team 
could probably rest some players, you know, especially ahead of Leipzig, which I think for Liverpool has to be the aim for the rest of their season. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. You know, you see that back line, you see Lookman going up against Nico Williams, and you think that's that's something we could look to take advantage of. You know, obviously Mane on the bench gives some level of respite to the back line, and uh, you know, the cards just all all came up uh, for them on a on the weekend. Well, yeah, it was a lovely finish from from Lamina, uh, especially taking it off of Salah, who like for a second looked like he wanted a, a foul called, but never was going to happen. But so since January first, Alex Fulham have the ninth most points in the league so far, and what's happened too is teams have fallen back towards you guys, right? Brighton and Newcastle, each of them only have one win in their last six games. Uh, I know we've had a little Twitter spat on Brighton and my feelings towards them, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, they are fully in a relegation battle now. We're tied on points with Fulham, only down by goal difference, right? And, and, and XG, just, of course. Yep. And, well, yeah, I mean, they'll always be down there, but... <laughs> But all right, just to make the case why why Fulham will, will probably will be able to stay up on the Brighton side, they are like Ellie said the highest underperformers for XG this season. They also lost Tarek Lamptey. He's now out for the season. I read yesterday from a hamstring injury. They still only have one player with more than three goals, and that's Mape. Their second highest goal scorer is Lewis Dunk. They're they're Gumby looking left back who just is like six four and always looks like he's moving in slow motion. Uh, so they've got a lot of problems. Like you said, it's scoring. They're very similar to Fulham, I think, in that in that sense, where a lot of games this season have probably gone against them by no real fault of their own, other than, no, well, the real fault would be finishing goals. But they still have to go away to United, Chelsea, and Arsenal, and they're still home to Everton and Manchester City, where they have only won one game at home this season anyway. So may maybe they're looking at those United, Chelsea, and Arsenal games as a better chance to pick up points. But from Brighton's side, yeah, I, I, they're in real trouble. Yeah, and I think especially for Brighton, you know, you can't make this stuff up with how unlucky they've been. I remember the Fulham-Brighton game, it was nil-nil, and they were all over us for like 90% of the game. And there was actually a chance for uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the 95th minute, and uh, Lewis Dunk cleared it off the line, and Fulham could have gone out there with a 1-0 win, which would have been completely undeserved. So, yeah, they've had some real tough luck, and I think as a Fulham fan, Brighton, you expect that that luck ha or that bad luck has to end at some point, and they should start to pick up some points. Um, so I think really your aim is Newcastle and to an extent Burnley. I don't think Burnley are necessarily out of it yet. Uh, so I think this could become a four a four horse race for that final relegation spot because realistically, I think Sheffield United and West Brom are a cut away from from us, uh, and I think they're pretty much down uh so it's just that last who's gonna be that last team to go with them yeah and on the, on the newcastle and 
since January 1st, they have the second worst record in the league. Uh, and they just had injuries to Callum Wilson, their top scorer, um, Alan St. Maximin, and Miguel Almiron, who are lead in the first and second in expected assists for the team. On top of all of that, those are their three most progressive ball carriers. So, it, in I know in Chelsea's game, it was very hard to see how Newcastle were actually getting the ball forward, and their their current options now are, are still I think like Joelinton, who who um has been an absolute flop the last two seasons. So. I think Newcastle, yeah, are the team that that you can really draw, you can really catch, and gosh, it would just kind of feel very satisfying for Newcastle to finally go down again. They are just are just so tough to watch, and Steve Bruce specifically. <laughs> you really have a yeah. thing against them. Yeah, you have. You have to hope they go down, and maybe they'll get Mike Ashley to sell the club. But that's uh, that's a whole other bag of wish. Yeah, that's very wishful thinking. Maybe they'll just get another <laughs> um, another who, like, yeah. <laughs> socially another socially very um, touchy nation state to buy into their club. <laughs> there's only there's only like four of them that could afford it. So exactly. Well, Alex, right now. Before we let you go, even if you guys get relegated, I think this second half of the season was really, really encouraging. So with that in mind, right now, for you, who would be Fulham's player of the year? So I've thought about this a lot over the past couple of games. And, you know, there is just that same name that keeps standing out. And that's uh, Ariola uh, in goal. You know, I think. You saw that uh, save against Yotta on the weekend and just time and time again, he's been there at the death to save us from, you know, one-on-ones, uh, you know, great saves, uh, athletic, just really has been a stalwart in that Fulham side. And, you know, I remember when he came in, um, I was a little bit disappointed, honestly. I thought Marek Rodak had a good year for us last year. And then within a couple of games, you really saw what um, – what he brought to the team and it's it's really helped transform that what was an awful defense into you know one of the best in the premier league and you know i think you could also argue it could go to any of those guys on the back line like tosin anderson even to an extent tete and uh Oaena. you know just the transformation this season defensively uh has been incredible to watch and you know a relief for film fans everywhere uh it was depressing a couple of seasons ago watching us just get hit the three or four every game. Um, so that's been a really nice change. So I think you can give it to any of those defensive players, but I think it really falls on Ariola for me. Wow. I'm only like 40% disappointed that you did not mention Anthony Robinson's name in that back line. <laughs> who, who you no have bias. to admit now, you have to admit now he's quite good. Oh, he's very solid. Him and Lookman going up the left uh, is uh, is great to watch. And you know, he always he's just so direct with every move he goes with. And uh, he's a fun player to have on the team for sure. Well, thank you. That that was purely for my ego. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but but actually, thank you for coming on, Alex. And 
I think we'll be both. Elias and I will be crossing our fingers and hoping Fulham stay up. I know I will be, for the most part, praying that Burnley gets pulled into this fully and we can get them out of here. But <laughs> good luck to Fulham. Yeah, no, thank you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah, you know, I'll be crossing my fingers as well, hoping that we uh, can avoid that drop. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for coming on. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, Rian, let's wrap it up. Let's do a quick roundup from around the Premier League. We've really only got one topic, um, and that is the return of Inglorious Bastard himself, Brad Pitt lookalike with more hair and man bun, Gareth Bale. Rian, let's uh, let's talk about Spurs for just a second. I mean, they're coming off of a pretty good run of form, honestly, at this point, right? They beat Crystal Palace pretty handedly. They did squeak by Fulham. And now they have a Europa League tie to look forward to before the North London Derby. Gareth Bale has scored in, I believe, three of their last four games. So where do we stand with him being back? <laughs> I think last time we said Gareth Bale is alive. <laughs> I think we can say he's maybe, maybe it's too early early to say thriving, but he he's up and walking around now. He he's walking around. He's got a little money in his pocket. He's a bit more than alive. He's close to being kind of back. Um, this past weekend. He hit a game, a season-high eight-shot-creating actions for himself in a game. And Spurs looked awesome against Crystal Palace. I, I, I think I think having Bale and Kane and Son, and for, for now it's Lucas Moura that's been playing in that, in the hole behind Harry Kane. And I, I just would be... Very angry, even as a non-Tottenham fan, to not, if I don't see Deli Alley in that spot on a more consistent basis going forward. But, no, it looks like the, their press was much better against Crystal Palace um, than, I think, at any point in those, like, December-January games, honestly. Uh, and... Yeah, they're looking great. I mean, I mean, they've looked great the last few games, and I think a lot of that also has to do with Sergio Regulon coming back too. Whereas, like that left side of the attack was really, really poor um, in the time that he was out. And when you think about it, he's got the third most attacking third touches in the in the side, um, third most touches in the in the attacking third, I should say. So he's really key to Spurs' attack. Um, but obviously, Bale getting another two goals in this game. That's these are the these are the good arcs we like to see. These are the normal redemption arcs <laughs> that that we usually see. Um, having to go to a new team, but this is like the most wholesome one if it works out. He's going back to Spurs, and who yeah. knows what happens in, in the summer, honestly. But he goes back to Spurs for one season. Maybe fairy tale wins him a trophy. Um, but fairy tale, yes, but it, fair, that would be the fairy tale ending. 
It would be. I, I don't see a situation where just looking long term now to well, actually just more medium term to the summer. Um, I don't see a situation where Gareth Bale actually permanently goes back to Madrid. I just think that Madrid are about to go through a whole summer of getting rid of dead weight and bringing in new talent. I don't think Gareth Bale is going to be one of those players they're bringing back to keep, uh, especially at his age now. So I can fully see a situation where Spurs, well, I can see a situation where Gareth Bale likes his situation at Spurs and will have to come to a deal with them. But I can see, I can see, I'm like 60, 40 on him staying at Spurs now. Um, I can absolutely see that. And I think where Gareth Bale has really redeemed himself is proving himself in the Europa League when he first initially got those chances, because let's be honest, at first he didn't really get many starting chances or even substitutions under Mourinho. But in the last three weeks, I mean, every time he has started or been subbed in, it seems like he has scored a goal. And that just goes to show the sort of impact player that he he can he can be, right? I mean, he reached these levels just not consistently at Real Madrid. And so that's where I think Spurs are going to be really looking for, for a partnership to form. You're starting to see it with him on the wing and, and Harry Kane through the middle. Almost, I don't want to say to the detriment of Hungman's son, um, but the memes of uh, son missing out on that party is is too good. But I, I <laughs> yeah, do it's, it's going to wreck the assist, the the uh, assist combinations for sure. But as we already same, saw in that game, no, it, <laughs> it will, it will. But at the same time, what is it worth? If it's worth them getting close to Europa League oh, yeah. trophy, um, I think Mourinho is going to take that. <laughs> No, that's fair. Just means I don't. They won't be able to um, kind of pile on on there. I think they've got the record now for most assists between two players, but in, in Kane and Son. But yeah, th- this is encouraging for Tottenham and and Elias. I think we were talking about it just before we hopped on for for this last part. This team looks like they could legitimately end the title drought this season and moreover it looks like they if this is their front three and and Deli Alley pops in to make it the front four going forward this is a team that could make it to the final of the Europa League well they yeah I mean they we were talking about this before and and yes they could make it to the final of the Europa League but I'm just hesitant to go I'm hesitant to go down that path because th- there are still three knockout ties right before that they have to go through including the round of 16 that need they need to go through before reaching the final. And if there's one thing that we know, it's that this Spurs team is very vulnerable at the back and very vulnerable to the counterattack. There are only so many yellow cards that Hoiberg can pick up. So I am I am more inclined to favor United and I would say maybe one other team in the tie potentially to reach the final before I would Spurs. And it's not Arsenal, by the way. There's a reason why I'm not saying Arsenal. But <laughs> I would favor two teams before probably Spurs in reaching the final. But yes, they are they are in my top three. All right, well, I think I went from five weeks ago having the feeling that, uh, like, <laughs> it, it, this, 
they're going to just be really boring to watch for the rest of the season, and they might make a a bit of a run in the Europa League and and be no fun or at all. No chance to beat City in the final of the League Cup. So now being like, no, they they might actually we might get some very entertaining moments out of this, and we already got a few in that Crystal Palace game. I mean, the yeah. Harry Kane goal was. Chef's kiss, unreal. I believe. <laughs> unreal. Wow. I mean, seriously. I mean, I think uh, three, at least three of those goals were really, really great goals from, from Tottenham. Um, I really like the one where Bale plays it out wide to Regulon, and Regulon puts a deep cross in, but a very good cross into uh, Kane, who then heads it across the goal to Gareth Bale, and he scores. So Tottenham are, are threatening to be entertaining for the rest of the season and now let's just see how they deal with it on the back end like you said defensively I think that's still a slight issue for them but uh yeah I, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about if you're a Tottenham fan now well for those that are Tottenham fans listening w- excuse me we wish you the best of luck um I still have my doubts but I do wish you the uh the, the best of luck so Rian, with that, I think that concludes the pod for the England portion of the week. We'll be back, of course, talking a little Spain. I think we're going to hold off until after the PSG game and about 24 hours after to to truly digest my thoughts and, and go into Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atleti, and a few other teams making a ruckus in Spain. So thank you, as always, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back real soon. Thanks, guys.